It's just gone five o'clock right here across Merseyside and across the world as well online. 105.9 City Talk. This is Planet Football with me, John Bradley, and with Statman John. Good evening. Good evening. I hope we are all well wherever we are this afternoon. On the show tonight, we have got a brilliant interview for you. We're going to teach you basically how to become a master of European football scouting and world football scouting. And we're going to tell you all about Philippe Coutinho as well, a man who has been heavily linked with Liverpool Football Club. We've got our usual daily into Europe feature as Rob Daly looks across the world of European football. And especially tonight, with the Bundesliga being the big news at the moment, we're going to find out all about Guardiola, about Bayern Munich, about Borussia Dortmund, and a special feature as well. That's all on the way before 6 o'clock tonight, right here on Planet Football. Johnny Boy, what have you been doing this week? What's caught your eye? Well, the big news broke overnight in Spain in that uh, Valencia, uh, the football club, have now been taken over by Valencia, the region, the city. Um, which is no surprise in one way because the football club has been struggling. But it's a bit of a surprise because Valencia itself, the region, has uh, only recently asked for £2.5 billion to keep it going. It's going to ask for some more and it's bought a football club. The place is in chaos because they've been building the new Mustaya for absolutely years. What else do we know, Paul? We know that um, Manchester United now have an official Japanese paint partner right this to go with 14 separate sponsorship deals in the telecoms area um and mr what, in different countries in different com- not countries not sponsored by like, all the no, no, no. providers different in the uk countries. Okay. the dhl sponsorship the yep. chevrolet sponsorship. now dhl sponsors their training kit doesn't it and it's been bought out after this season i think united have bought it back because they want to sell everything on to chevrolet okay uh, Aon are going to be replaced by Chevrolet. They get um, an astonishing amount of money from Nike. Uh, Mr. Potato are the official savoury snacks partner. Right. Toshiba Medical Systems. Um, Supply the, all the medical uh, systems. Uh, medical yep. systems. Smirnoff are the official responsible drinking partner. Yep. Um, they have airlines. They have Honda as the official motorbike sponsor. Um, uh, Honda are the official motorbike sponsors. Yes. Okay. AP. Even though footballers aren't allowed to ride motorbikes. Even now, this is all to do with fair play and uh, financial fair play. Financial fair play. Yeah, let's not confuse the two. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. And the two are no way similar. Um, and it's great work by our sponsorship department. They have been churning these deals out week in, week out, mm-hmm. and this is um, this is very impressive. I know we might have made a joke about it in the past and uh, there is now a very long list of companies i personally will never deal with but <laughs> being uh, a manchester city fan, yes. okay. um but it is the way forward i mean there's some big deals in china um they've just signed a, a, a deal um with a chinese soft drinks firm. right so that that's basically what's happened to manchester united that's your news what's your stat of the week my stat of the week is that uh, I love a Barca versus Real Madrid stat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barca 
had 30 goals provided by Spanish-born players. In La Liga this season? In La Liga this season. And Real Madrid have had? Three. Three goals by Spaniards? Yes. All season in La Liga? All season. Right, let's qualify it a little bit more. Uh, How many games have Spaniards played for Real Madrid? 106. How many have played for Barca? 196. Wow. How many different scorers are there for Barca? 11. How many for Real? Three. So three. So three, three players have got one goal. Correct. So um, basically, it is the League of Nations at one club. And while Messi scores every week for Barca, there is still a very heavy Spanish influence in that team. There are only 14 uh, Spanish players at Barca compared with 10 at Real. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, right. so it's um, it's not quite that clear cut. But, uh, and it... It also goes to show what a uh, poor but then season. You look at Real, yeah. So, but also you've got Arbeloa, Sergio Ramos, uh, Casillas, uh, the other goalkeeper as well. Xabi hasn't. Uh, Xabi Alonso hasn't scored. Nah, Xabi doesn't get that many, but he's still a footballing genius. He can do whatever he wants, mate. He's a footballing genius. There you go. Gives us a good chance to bring in our first guest because he speaks fluent Spanish as well. And he used to work for Real Madrid, and he's going to tell us exactly why a man from Luton ended up working as the head of recruitment and youth recruitment and bringing players into Real Madrid. Jeff Atere, good evening to you. Good evening, all. Uh, how's things, pal? You all right? Yeah, very good, very good. Yeah, a little bit cold uh, in uh, snowy old Luton. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's cold up there as well. Jeff, how did a boy from Luton end up working for Real Madrid? Um, well, it's, it's a case of, uh, I suppose, I was, uh, at the time I was at... Um, I was head of overseas scouting at Charlton Athletic back in the Alan Kerbishvili era, um, on the circuit, travelling extensively around Europe and uh, South America, watching football. And just, just sort of one of my contacts on the way, Miguel Angel Portugal, who was um, chief scout at Real Madrid at the time when I met him, uh, then became director of football. When Pedro Mjatovic was also there back in 2007, and I just left Charlton and got a phone call from from Miguel Angel to come and join him in Madrid. So sort of, it's a little bit about yeah, who you know, not what you know all the time, I suppose. You spend your life basically travelling around Europe and the world watching footballers. Now I know there's one player that people in Merseyside will be very very interested in at the moment. That's Felipe Coutinho who, of course, plays for Internazionale over in Italy. He's a player that supposedly is on his way to Liverpool. You will know him inside out. You'll have watched him. Tell us all about him. Uh, Coutinho, yeah, I first saw him when he was was a a very young player, playing for Vasco da Gama. I think he might have been uh, 16, 17 at the time. Um, He plays... Positionally, I suppose you'd call him a number ten. Uh, he's an att- or an attacking midfield player uh, without mm, any defensive responsibilities. Really, here very very good on the ball, two-footed, predominantly right-footed, but can use his left foot. Uh, he likes to dribble. He likes to take players on. Um, he's very exciting to watch. Uh, I think the first time I I saw him, he'd already been signed at Inter. Obviously, with a FIFA rule in place uh, under the age of 18, you, you can't transfer continent. So he was already signed for Inter Milan at the age of 16. Uh, they left him at Vasco until he was 18. Obviously, then went to Inter, 
um, when he'd reached his 18th birthday. But um, he's a player who, in the current Liverpool system, uh, yeah, would have to play either off of a striker, off of Suarez, or if you're playing three up, maybe uh, in a 4-3-3 on that left-hand side where uh, probably where Sterling has been playing, I guess. What about the uh, the way that he'll adapt to English football? Will he be able to? Has he got that physical presence? Has he got the quickness of mind to deal with the extra tempo in the Premier League? Well, he's physically he's quite slight. He's, he's about five foot eight. Um, so I think it will take him a while to adapt. Obviously, coming over if it is going to happen now, coming over in January is not the best time for a Brazilian to be to be coming up to Merseyside, you know, in terms of the weather and and everything else. It'd probably be a, a, a summer acquisition would, would, would be better. But he surprised me last year, actually. He went, uh, this time last year, he went to Espanol on, on a six-month loan. And he did, he fitted in straight away. I, I mean, I know it's the Liga and Espanol um, were doing okay. In fact, um, Pochettino was the manager. The, the, the current Southampton manager was manager Espanol. And I think he got about five five goals last last year between January and May. Um, but again, he <laughs> playing off the front. But um, he would be a good acquisition to the squad. I, I just saw a bit on television this morning on the, on Italian Sky, them him sort of wishing Wesley Snyder all the best. Now it's been confirmed that Wesley's gone to Galatasaray, and he's sort of saying, "I want to sort of maybe you know fight for my place here." But he's not had a lot of playing time into this year. Yeah. Now, obviously, you worked at Real Madrid. You also worked at uh, Newcastle in the what is now known as the ill-fated Dennis Wise era. But you were responsible. For a man who is very much in the news, weren't you, Fabrizio Colaccini, coming to yeah. English football? Yeah, he he he's a player who obviously I've followed a lot over the years. I saw he came out of Boca when he was a young kid on a on a free transfer to AC Milan. Didn't play a lot of AC Milan and, and spent a lot of his career playing in Spain. Um, at various clubs, uh, we signed him in Newcastle from Deportivo La Coruña, um, and I always thought Fabrizio would adapt very well to English football. His reading of the game, uh, he's quite physical. His ability was was decent, you know. Although he's not not huge, he's a, he's just six foot, and I always felt he would he would acquisition. But you know, when he came. To Newcastle, it, it was a tough time for him, and the club obviously was going through a, a bit of turmoil behind the scenes. Uh, and it took him a while to to settle in. But I think most Newcastle fans would admit that uh, you know eventually you'd say he was a good signing for the club. You're not working directly for any particular club at the minute, are you? But but what you are no. doing is a lot of consultancy for different clubs. How, how does it all work now? Do, you know, Does a club contact you and say, will you go and watch this player for us, have a look at this player for us, or you'll recommend a player to a club? Uh, yeah, I, it tends to be uh, people that I know at certain football clubs will, will be looking at a particular position and they might ring me and ask me, you know, who, what have you seen, who's available? Um, I still go out quite quite frequently to Italy, Spain, France and watch games uh, coupled with uh, watching sort of games back to back on TV. I've got four different satellite systems uh, 
game's been beamed in, you know, every day. So I, I try and keep abreast of what's happening in all the major leagues, Bundesliga, um, La Liga in Spain, League One in France, Syria in Italy, and then obviously the second divisions in their respective countries. Um, and I'm enjoying the Bundesliga at the moment, and I was quite quite surprised to to see Pep um, go to Bayern, but you called it the other night at the MK Don, so... Jeff and I sat Pep, together Pep last week. Yeah. Jeff and I sat together last week at the MK Dunn Sheffield Wednesday game, and I said he's definitely going to buy, and he's definitely not coming to England. And I am holding my hands up and taking every single piece of credit <laughs> for that. Jeff, t- tell us um, in terms of has there been a gem that you've found somewhere, and and he's turned into a, to a great player, and you've thought. I saw you when you were nothing, and you know I've seen you develop into a gem. Well, I, you, you do see special players from time to time, and I, I, I'm definitely not one of those players. I'm sorry, one of those people to say, well, I found Lionel Messi or I found um, Sergio Aguero, but I did see Aguero at Independiente when he was 16. I think he'd only played a couple of games in the first team. And I went to watch Independiente versus Estudiantes and Sergio Aguero played. And after literally two or three minutes of the game, you knew you were watching a special player. There was a, a particular occasion arose very early on. He, he, he got the ball played into feet and he's controlled it. And the play, um, defenders come in to try and nick it. And he just clipped it over him. And his next intention was, I'm going to hit this. And he hit it and it... 25 yards, crossbar and away. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, he's only 16 and he's already doing some very special things. So I'd say Aguero when he was 16, um, Cristiano Ronaldo I saw when he was 17 playing for sports in Lisbon and also saw him at the Toulon tournament. And you thought he was obviously going to be a special player. Um but it, it, it's it's one of the things that goes with the job. You you know you you work for various clubs and you travel around the world and and you you know you you have a luxury of seeing some special players that they catch your eye and you know you might be working for clubs that can't afford these players at the time. But uh, and also with work permit restrictions, I know the particular one on Sergio Aguero. He he wouldn't have been able to come to England at 16 because he didn't have a passport or sorry a European passport. Yeah. Um, so you know that he's going to go via another channel before he obviously gets the caps and he can come to them. So that, that, I think that's something that Michel Platini and, and all the people at UEFA really need to look at um, because I think when English clubs play in Europe, uh, whether it's the Europa League where Liverpool are playing this year, I know they've got Zenit coming up in a, two or three weeks, um, or playing in the Champions League. There's definitely advantages that certain teams have, especially the Portuguese, where they could field 11 South Americans playing against you, and, and, and you can't field any of them, you know? Listen, Jeff, we could go on talking all day, but we are running out of time. We've got to take the travel and so, some adverts, but it has been absolutely fascinating. I want to thank you for joining us. I will catch up with you later in the week when I see you down south, but for everyone here at City Talk and, and Planet Football, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Top man. Appreciate That's... Being on the program.
That's Jeff Vettere, a man with a real insight into the world of football. On the way, we're going to speak to Rob Daly. We're going to go around the European leagues to see what's happening. And we're going to have a special focus on the Bundesliga as well. That's all to come on Planet Football on 105.9 City Talk. Premier League, European and International Planet Football, City Talk 105.9. Welcome back to Planet Football this Tuesday, the 22nd of January. Another busy week in the world of football. Another busy week in the world of European football as well. The big leagues are pretty much all back now and there has been plenty of drama over the weekend. That means only one thing. It's time for Daily Into Europe. Good evening, Arthur. Good evening, gents. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. What have you been up to, Paul? Um, I was at the Etihad Stadium on Saturday. Yeah, and they played yeah. Fulham, didn't they? Fulham, yeah. Was it City tedious? Was, uh, City were quite good, actually. I was, they, they could have scored many more than they got in the end, and Fulham brought nothing. So I was disappointed in Fulham, actually. To How was the boy Berber? Uh, very quiet. He has this thing with City now. He hasn't scored in twelve against them, so he he did. He did. How nothing. do you know that off the top of your head? That's but <laughs> right. Let's not talk about English football because your expertise is, of course, mm. in Europe and in foreign football. And we're going to take a little break from the norm because we're going to start with Greece because something happened in Greece that was even more scandalous than the sacking of Nigel Adkins at the back end of last week, didn't it? I was going to compare the two, actually. <laughs> uh, Olympiacos manager Leonardo Jardim um, has been sacked. That's despite the fact that Olympiacos were 10 points clear at the top of the league going into the weekend. Um, and, and he did a fine job. They, they were very good in Europe, I thought, this season, Olympiacos. They didn't get into the next round of the the Champions League, but everyone was thoroughly impressed with them. Um, but it, it, as much as the Atkins sacking was a surprise here, it isn't really a surprise, this kind of thing, in Greece itself, because Olympiacos are very guilty of chopping and changing their manager. They've brought in Antonis Nikopolidis, the silver-haired goalkeeper that many of us will remember playing for Greece. If you uh, do go on Antonios Nikopolidis' Wikipedia page, it says that he looks like George Clooney. <laughs> it, that's, that's a true story. Is that it information, does. though? That's just an opinion, <laughs> isn't it? Someone's just gone on there and says, with his silver hair, he looks like George Clooney. I can sort of see that. I can sort of see that. That's not too bad. Listen, l- let's go through Jardim this season, because you've already said that they were unfortunate not to get through in that UCL group that contained Montpellier, uh, Arsenal and Schalke and Fear, didn't mm. they? And they were unfortunate not to go through. I was actually at the game with you uh, in Piraeus when they beat Arsenal on match day six, weren't we? And and they were decent, weren't they? They were absolutely brilliant and they've got some wonderful players. And to us, they look to be playing this very exciting football. Uh, Jardim uh, has a reputation perhaps for falling out with uh, boards after what happened at Braga uh, last season, he led them to third in the table, which was, you know, a joint, um, a, a best ever finish. And then he had a fallout with the chairman, so they still got rid of him in Portugal. Um, I do wonder if something behind the scenes has gone on. The fans in uh, Olympiacos fans are obsessed with Valverde, 
who led them to three titles in three seasons with a sort of year gap in between where he wasn't manager there. He was manager of Villarreal. So I wonder if there's still this bit of an obsession of getting Valverde back. But he left Greece in the summer for family reasons, and I don't think he'd he'd want to go back. I've got a good stat for you as well here. John will appreciate this. Go on, then. Uh, so whoever takes over in the summer, so Nicopolidis uh, included, when they appoint their new manager, it'll be a 20th manager in 11 years for Olympiacos. That's pretty pretty good, isn't it? It's a fine <laughs> effort. substantial, yes. That's almost like uh, Blackburn Rovers or something like yeah. that. <laughs> Do you know the funny thing is, Rob, is that, that they've won every game at home this season, haven't they? Um, and they're still in the Greek Cup, they're unbeaten in the league, and they're in the Europa League as well, but they decided it was time to sack the manager. They're going to win the league. Well, uh, that's, ne- but, but let's be realistic. Ike Athens and Panathinaikos are awful now. Yes. They're both terrible. And so they've already, obviously already decided that they've won the league so they could afford to sack the manager. I wonder if it's this thing now, and I think me and you have chatted about this before, about whether the actual barometer for success for a, t- a manager at a club where they're so dominant is the European campaign. Um, you know, I'm thinking clubs like Dinamo Zagreb, um, you know, where uh, domestic success is expected. It's then like, right, well, we have to build on this and make a name for ourselves in Europe. But they're, they're just so ruthless in Greece. Panathinaikos are exactly the same. They'll boot the managers out. Tamori Ketsbaya, who was one of the most promising coaches on the continent at one point, he took over Olympiacos in 2009. He had six games, undefeated in all of them, won five, didn't concede a single goal, uh, but they still sacked him. <laughs> so what can you do? Welcome to uh, the world of Greece. Madness, <laughs> utter madness. Right, let's go to Spain next, because if Jose Mourinho was in charge of the Spanish FA and could have ordered a weekend of results... It was the weekend of results that he would have desired, eh, Rob? Absolutely brilliant, because uh, Barcelona up until this weekend had only dropped uh, two points all season, uh, and they were 2-0 up against Real Sociedad within 25 minutes, so it was looking all fairly comfortable. Uh, and PK got sent off, and they went on to lose the game 3-2, conceding a, a goal in, in added on time. So a complete collapse from Barcelona. Um, Messi scored again, so it's his, he's got this astonishing record of consecutive games finding the back of the net, but it didn't matter in the end. Um, and, and Real won, of course. They won 5-0 at Valencia. Uh, it was maybe the most one-sided half of football I've ever seen, the first half. They just tore apart Valencia-Real Madrid. Astonishing. Were 5-0 up at half-time and then didn't score again. Uh, and it was all about Ronaldo, who was just quite remarkable. I noticed, uh, well, it was the second time in four days they, they conceded Two goals. Yeah, and I'm sure the manager will be disappointed, but we all know how disruptive, how disrupting things have been at Barca with the illness to Villanova over the past uh, month, six weeks. So I imagine training's a bit disjointed. Um, the club get-togethers are a bit strange. Villanova was recently over in New York seeing a specialist about his illness, so it's not like he's been back and, and been taking every training session. He's been in and out of the football club. So... It's difficult times for Barca, but if they can just ride this through to when the Champions League starts up again, um, I, th- I, I think we're a bit unanimous in thinking La Liga's done, isn't it, anyway? Yeah, yeah. Um, Atle- Atletico were uh, uh, flying as well at the moment, aren't they? And they closed the gap uh, at the Calderon uh, with a really good win at the weekend. They uh, beat Levante 2-0, didn't they? The first goal was unbelievable. Yeah, Koke's well. strike, just unreal. And I, I thought the first goal was better by Adrian Lopez, though. Really? Yeah, no. just the football move of it. Oh, just right, okay. Pure football. 
No, I preferred the Koke strike. Okay. I thought that was beautiful. But, um, yeah, good win for them. And they do keep the pace. And at least they're keeping things interesting. Because uh, we talked about the job that Diego Simeone's done there in turning that football club around. It's quite remarkable. Um, and to just keep up the pace on Barca, just make things a little bit uncomfortable for them. Um, that should keep things interesting in Spain, hopefully for a little while longer. While we mentioned Real a little earlier, they inflicted Valencia's biggest ever home defeat in La Liga this weekend, didn't they? Incredible. So 5-0 up at half-time, as I was saying. It really was the, the Ronaldo show for me. Um, he, got, he got two goals. He, he made one as well. He was just absolutely blinding. And I don't quite know what's up with Valencia. It, it was just the oddest first half. They did not defend. And they did have a couple of chances first half. Jonas looked a bit lively early on. Um, but they crumbled, and it's been a very difficult season for that football club, changing their manager, of course. They, I, I never quite know what to make of them. Angel Di Maria scored two in La Liga for the first time ever as well, didn't he, this weekend? For me as well, Di Maria is still, I'm not 100% convinced by him all the time. I don't know what you think, John. Why they going to sign Gareth Bale next summer, isn't it? Is that what you think is going to happen? Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, that's the shout, isn't it? Yeah, Di Maria's going to go and Bale's uh, going to come in. Yeah, and I would I would have thought that would be... If you look at that team, you know, out of the front four players, you'd probably say Di Maria would be the, the weak point. And I know they're still talking about Real bringing in a centre-forward because they can't decide between Benzema and Higuain because they're sort of similar standard. Benzema having a better season, certainly. Um, but, yeah, Di Maria has been in and out of form for me. Um, but... Those goals should help him anyway. Let's go to Italy because it was a big weekend for Juve. They opened the gap up further at the top and Paul Pogba scored one of the best goals you will ever see. He scored two absolute belters in the end. and His first one was undoubtedly the standout goal. Um, You know, a sort of 30-yard volley in off the crossbar. But How hard did he hit that ball, by the way? It was so sweetly hit. And initially, when I saw it, I thought that's going over. And then it just dipped and swerved and it, and it cannoned in. And an outstanding display, certainly reading the, the press in Italy, there, uh, so much praise for him. Uh, after the match, he's only 19, remember? He was saying, you know, I don't, I don't regret for one second leaving Manchester United. This was a great move for me and it's, and it's certainly coming off. Um, and so they went on to beat Udinese 4-0 in the end. And with the signing of Urente not quite announced yet, but they expect him to go in the summer as opposed to in this window and extending the lead at the top because all the teams around them drop points. A very good weekend for Juve. There was a great quote from his agent, uh, Pogba's agent. Paul is a bit like a Dali painting. Pieces of art are rare and are worth a lot because they are appreciated by a lot of people. Pogba is just like that. Amazing. Honestly, why are agents saying things like that? I wish some agents would concentrate more on doing their business and less on turning up on the telly or being quoted. Well, it just hang it, it on. just annoys me. It goes on. Juventus fans are concerned that he might lose him to some rich, shake-owned club. I would have thought he'd be quite happy to be winning titles, playing in the UEFA Champions League. And, you know, what a club that is. I mean, I'd be... Well, he wasn't at Manchester United, was he? I know, Which yeah. is where, basically, when he was a young kid, he went from France to Manchester United. There was a lot of drama about that, saying that Man United stole him and all that. And then... He went to Juventus because he decided he wanted to leave Manchester United. Um, just on the just the teams around them, both Lazio and Napoli drew, didn't they, at the weekend? 
Yeah, so drop points all round, which means that Juve extend their lead at the top. Um, Napoli were losing at Fiorentina before Cavani scored again. Um, he's just just absolutely flying this season at the moment. And Lazio got themselves a late goal to have a 2-2 draw with Palermo. Uh, Juve actually also announced in the week that they looked at they did look at signing Cavani from Napoli, but it's too expensive. There isn't the money in Italian football to bring in a player of his cost. Um, but disappointing for Napoli and Lazio, Juve are the stand-up team in the league at the minute. And what a turnaround. You know, you, you look at what's happened to them over the past few years, being relegated, then being a team who was sitting eighth in the table and not looking great, to now being the dominant force in Italian football. Finally, Rob, in Holland, Steve McLaren's boys have gone back to the top of the league despite drawing at the weekend. I don't think they even had a shot on target against Valvik, but that's because PSV were surprisingly beaten and that's where all the drama was this weekend, wasn't it? Incredible game at home to Pex Vola. Um, they were already 3-1 down by the 63rd minute in Eindhoven, PSV. So that was a shock result already. They've been... Really good to watch this season, um, as well as get, getting victories. Uh, but the stand-up moment was when uh, Peters was sent off on 67 minutes. This is Eric Peters, the fullback who plays for the Dutch national side and was all set, it seemed, to sign for Newcastle last year. Sorry yeah, that's right. And I, I don't know if you've seen the internet. I thought the red was maybe a little bit harsh. It was the way the player went down. that He got a straight red. And Peters was furious. He walked off the pitch quite calmly, it looked like kicked a door and then punched a window and punched a hole through the window. So there was, the pictures are quite graphic, aren't they? Just blood all over the window. And it looks like he's going to have to have surgery on his hand. Um, so the last person I heard do that was um, Mamadi Sidibe uh, when he was playing for Mali and there was a big right in his arm, went through a window and it did one of the tendons in his arm. Yeah, that might be the thing with Peters. I'm mm. not quite sure on the exact nature of the of the injury, but I'm, I'm sure that I think the, the the videos on YouTube somewhere of sort of what happened, you don't see it properly, uh, but it just summed up PSV's day and to lose at home to Pek Zvola in such a fashion, they're already losing and that was the final score in the end, 3-1. So it didn't have a major impact on, on the game as a whole in the end. They were, they were heading for a defeat. Now we've got to own up to everyone that we made a mistake last week here on Planet Football because we all simply assumed that Loic Remy was going to go from uh, Marseille to Newcastle. He didn't. He went to QPR. We all said universally that he was rubbish, didn't we? And he scored at the weekend. Well, did we say rubbish? <laughs> well, I no, did. We I just, did. I we did. just said he was perhaps... Um, overpriced. Overpriced. Yeah, overpriced. 14 minutes, his first shot hit the back <laughs> of the net. Well, um, I mean, fair play to him. It was a lovely goal. Um, I still have my reservations about whether that was a wise transfer move. I so, think we're going to keep our eye on him. I think the problem is, mate, is that, that I still have my reservations about him. And like you, we'll uh, just keep watching him from afar with interest to see if he can maintain that level of form. Right, thanks as ever to Rob Daly and Daily Into Europe. We'll be back same time, same place right here next week on Planet Football. This is 105.9 City Talk. We didn't focus on the Bundesliga because that is where we are going next. We're going to have a good look at German football. Premier League, European and international. Planet Football, City Talk, 105.9. Welcome back to Planet Football. It is fast approaching 6 o'clock on this, the 22nd of January. It's been a fascinating hour so far. 
finding out exactly what's happening in Europe and also speaking to Jeff Bateri as well, the former chief scout of Real Madrid has been absolutely fascinating. The other thing that we have negated to mention so far in the show is what's going on in the African Cup of Nations. Apart from scandalous kung fu kicking goalkeepers, some awful goalkeeping and some of the worst diving I've seen in a long time, eh, Johnny Boy? It's not been a good start. We've had six games, five draws, nine goals, two reds. And the highlight was the sending off of the... uh, 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 The Ethiopian 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 goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, uh, Yeah. against Zambia. Um, He basically tried to Schumacher, the Zambian forward, didn't he? He he tried to uh, do exactly what Tony Schumacher did on Patrick Batistón. Yeah. Uh, he's called Jamal Tessu, I think. Okay, the problem is is that he did go in to Kung Fu kick him in the chest like Nigel de Jong did to Jabby Alonso, but... Nigel wasn't moving quite as fast. No, no, this guy was like flying through the air. It was like something off Hong Kong Fu, wasn't it? It was. Okay, now the problem is, is that he then decided against it at the last minute and tried to pull his leg out of the way and seems to have done himself a, a, a serious damage. I can't quite work out whether he was feigning it or not because from one view, it certainly does look like he's given himself a rather nasty knee injury. Yeah, but from another, it looked like he, it was nasty. Yeah. But what you do have to say is, why, when you know you're going to get a red card, did he try to pull out? Because there was no way he was going to stop colliding with the with the striker, was well, there? Well, Schumacher never got a red card. Perhaps he feels hard done by. <laughs> That was 30 years ago. It, it you could, you could, you it still rankles, though, doesn't it? You could hit someone with a bat chasing them as they were clean through on goal and not get sent off in those days, unless you were Kevin Moran in an FA Cup final. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Um, the competition started very badly. 2 0 nil draws, um, torrential rain. Uh, Cape Verde managed um, a very nice um, result against South Africa in the opener, which wasn't really that surprising because Cape Verde are, are, are the top-ranked team in that in that little group. Are they? Yeah. Where is Cape Verde? It's uh, out in the middle of the um, Atlantic. Atlantic. Is it really? Yeah. How many people live there? I bet you there's hardly anyone. I don't know, but Nanny, I think, is a... See, that's fascinating. I Absolutely think... fascinating. Okay, um, hopefully we've got um, better games to come. Um, The Ivory Coast, I think, are in action exactly now. Um, They're playing Toga. Uh, Tunisia play Algeria a bit later. And then it's back to the first group for uh, South Africa. All these tournaments are rubbish for the first game because everyone doesn't want to lose the first game. It happens in the World Cup. It happens in the European Championships uh, and all those competitions. It's always the same. Even in the Champions League, you know, it happens all the time and in the Europa League as well. Now, the teams that are flying at the moment across Europe, it's the biggest league currently in terms of supported in Europe, it's the league that everyone seemingly is starting to want to watch. And, of course, there was rather a big-name arrival announced last week. Pep Guardiola is going to FC Bayern München, otherwise known as Bayern Munich. So we thought we'd do a special feature on the Bundesliga on Planet Football tonight with our man who is over in Germany, James Thorogov. Good evening, James. Oh, good evening, guys. Pleasure to be on. How are you doing? You okay? 
I'm doing very well. It's always a delight to talk about the Bundesliga, I have to admit. <laughs> Seriously, James, I mean, I've been watching it and I, and the coverage in England has certainly improved over the last couple of years with, with ESPN showing a lot of live games on the Bundesliga. There are highlights as well on ITV4, but it's no surprise really, is it, because the Bundesliga is growing massively. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think it can be considered probably the most progressive league in Europe, and I think it's gradually starting to be recognised for that, as you mentioned in the introduction there. And at the same time, I think it's the most attractive league in terms of if you're looking from a football fan standpoint, and I do, you know, obviously from a tactical view, they, you know, you've got some cracking teams to watch on the pitch. You've got some of the best young talent in Europe. You think of the likes of Marco Royce, Thomas Muller, Mario Götze, and they play you know, attacking free-flowing fluid football a lot of the time, and it's a joy to watch. And at the same time, it's a well-run league off the pitch as well. You know, the clubs are turning profit. If financial fair play were to come into effect at any time soon, and we don't know how strict the rules will be, but the German clubs would be ready from day one to accept those rules and really work with them because they're already working within their means. And I think that's a, a credit to what's been done with the league and with the clubs. And really, this is a, these are all the reasons that the Bundesliga is thriving right now. A lot of people say it's uncompetitive because Bayern are, are so far clear this season. Is that more down to Borussia Dortmund making sure that they had a better league in the UEFA Champions League this year, do you think? Yeah, no, it certainly is. They really came out this season wanting to you know, banish the memories of last season's Champions League where they really flopped. And a lot of people were expecting big things from them. And instead, we've seen incredible things from them this season in terms of their performances and the way they've managed to come through the group of champions, as I like to call it. They topped the group, obviously, beating all champions from the Dutch, the, the English League, Manchester City, and then obviously Real Madrid from Spain as well. But it has certainly cost them in the league to a certain extent. The depth in their squad isn't as great as Bayern Munich's, and Bayern Munich did do a lot of investment over the summer to counteract the problems that they had last season because they've gone two seasons without a title, yeah. which in a way is unprecedented in Germany. And so really the fact that they are running away with it, you can see the motivation that they've had to you know, correct the problems from last season, and it's certainly worked a treat for them so far. I think that's something that, that I picked out as well was the signing of Shakiri as well because there were so many clubs that wanted him, but he simply wanted to go to Bayern Munich, didn't he? Yeah, and that, as I say, it comes down to the attractiveness, and I mm. think you can say the same about Pep Guardiola's decision now as well, because they're looking at it and thinking it's a very, you know, it's a thriving league, it's going places, it is starting to really, you know, people are putting it on the same level as the Premier League and La Liga, finally. I think it's been a couple of years in the, you know, couple of years coming in terms of what the, the Bundesliga is producing. But those types of decisions are, are making people stand up and take notice of what the Bundesliga has to offer, both on the pitch and off it. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. And Dortmund have been brilliant in the Champions League. And there's all this talk about Jurgen Klopp and what his future will hold. But I don't think I've ever seen a manager who seems so relaxed and so comfortable at a football club. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the great things about Jurgen Klopp, and I think it's one of the reasons that he is having so much success with this young side is that as much as he's their manager and he's obviously the guy that tells them how to play and, and what to do, he's their friend as much as he is anything else as well. And you see him hugging his players on a regular basis as they're coming off the pitch, and it's that family-like environment, I think, at that club that is making them you know, such a good team to watch, and it's, it's 
you know, showing on the pitch as well with their performances and the way that they play and the fact that they really give 110% both on and off the ball for Jurgen Klopp, really. I don't know whether it would happen with another manager, but the fact is he's got them working really well. And I mean, we're talking about managers. He's not the only one either. You can, you know, you talk about it not being as competitive a league, but if you look at the league right now, granted Bayern Munich are running away with it, but the places from second down to about 15th are so tight and it can change every weekend in terms of who's in the mix and you've got thriving young teams and thriving young managers like Thomas Tuchel at Mainz and Christian Streich at Freiburg and those are two teams that I'd like to highlight as well in terms of the quality that they provide on the pitch in terms of uh, of their tactics especially and, and so really I think the Bundesliga if people do start to watch it on a more regular basis will notice it's not as one-sided sometimes as they think it is even Bayern Munich do go through matches where they don't look as good as they you know their position in the table suggestion so really this is this is what makes talking about the Bundesliga so great for me because I think it is finally getting the recognition it deserves. Now, back in Merseyside uh, a long time ago, all 13, 14 years ago, there was proof that perhaps joint management of a club doesn't work when Gerard Ullier and Roy Evans were asked to be in charge of Liverpool together. It didn't work. It didn't last. Now, the opposite seems to be happening at Bayer Leverkusen and a man who's very close to the hearts of Liverpool fans as well, Sami Hoopier. He's working with Saskia Lewandowski, isn't he? How does that work and why are they doing so well? Why is there so much success at Leverkusen? They're currently second in the table, aren't they? Yeah, they are, and they're, they're you know nine points behind Bayern Munich, three points above Borussia Dortmund in third. But the consistency that they have shown since Herpier and Lewandowski took over has been what has been the, the marked change in their fortunes, really. And and Herpier is a man that's very well respected in the Bundesliga as well. Obviously, as Liverpool fans, he is very close to our hearts, as you said. And and Lewandowski is another one. I talked about young managers. He's a guy that you know Herpier came in, but they also promoted Sasha Lewandowski from the youth academy. He was uh, coaching down there. And he's come in with another young side like Dortmund. And, you know, that kind of rapport with the players, I think, works. And the fact that they obviously will have so much respect for a man like Sammy Herpia has got them really firing on all cylinders. And they've got a striker up front in Stefan Kiesling, who's capable of scoring goals week in, week out. Well, I was going to ask you, James, I was going to ask you about Stefan Kiesling because I've seen him so many times down the years. He's not a young man anymore. But whatever they're doing at Leverkusen right now just seems to have brought out a new man. I mean, he's been involved in German squads before, but at the moment, he he just looks a totally different player. No, he's in the in the form of his career. I think it's very fair to say, and he has you know great support right now up front in the in the form of Gonzalo Castro and Andre Schürrle, who's obviously been mentioned in uh, in Chelsea circles a lot uh, in recent months, obviously. And so, really, it's also a change in style of play. I think has, that's come about with Herpier and Lewandowski coming in. They're compact at the back, but they break forward at such pace. And that really is just it's benefiting Stefan Kiesling because he's the man sweeping home all the goals at the you know the other end of the pitch, and at the same time they're keeping things very tight at the back, which I'm sure is where Sammy Herper has probably had his biggest influence. Obviously, his defensive quality is known as a player, and I think it's certainly filtering down into his coaching ability as well. Two other teams that uh, interest me, well, especially after Friday night's uh, five-four, Schalke and Hanover. Yeah, I mean, it was a cracking match, wasn't it? It was a great way to start the second half of the season from a Bundesliga perspective. But, you know, defensively, I'm sure the managers will have been, you know, tearing their hair out to a certain degree. Schalke, they're a team that, you know, they're, they're always in, an, in the mix at the top of the table, but it's been a long time since they've been challenging for a title. Um, Hanover, they're a team that have come from, you know, virtually nothing. They were in, in the relegation zone, you know, three seasons ago, I think it was. 
Mirko Slomka took over. He, again, you know, another great manager to, to promote youth, really, at that club. And he's got them playing very well. He's made some very good signings in the transfer windows as well. Mame Biram Diouf is probably one to mention. And if you haven't seen his goal from the 5-4, it's worth a, a look on YouTube because it's an absolute cracking overhead kick from the edge of the box. And obviously, this is a guy that wasn't touted as anything big at Manchester United. And he's come over to the Bundesliga and he's banging in the goals on a regular basis. And so both of those teams, you're right to highlight them. They both play very exciting football. Hanover a little more inconsistent than Schalke are, but the quality that Schalke have in their squad is, is undeniable at the same time. And obviously we all know about Lewis Holt coming to Tottenham now and things like that. And it's, this is it. Like the, the Premier League is starting to, there's an influx of Bundesliga-based players going in. You know, you look at the Papis Denver Cisse's and the Denver Bars and the Gilfie Sigurdsons, just a few examples there. Obviously, Lucas Podolski probably wants a highlight as well. Will, will and, Holt, and, sorry, James, will Holtby go to no. Tottenham, do you think, before the end of January? Well, he, it, the rumours are certainly circulating over here in Germany. And after that 5-4 uh, win for Schalke, he did nothing to quell the rumours because he said, uh, you know, loosely quoting him here that he didn't want to say anything today that was going to be wrong tomorrow. And it was all up to his agent. And so there's obviously a distinct possibility he could go. I would imagine it's probably more likely that unless Tottenham decide they're willing to stump up a couple of extra million for him, and that really is the sticking point right now, that he'll be at Schalke come the end of the season and leave on a free. Top man. Um, I've got to ask you finally, just from a personal point of view, How's Super Andre Varonin doing at Fortuna Dusseldorf? Oh, he's a man in a lot of trouble, actually. Um, so he started the season in the starting lineup and didn't perform, you know, exceptionally well at all. And Norbert Meyer dropped him. He then proceeded to go out clubbing on a regular basis, which Norbert Meyer, the head coach, <laughs> took offence to, and has since been suspended, fined all of the above, and isn't really getting a look at all anymore, unfortunately. So I think he is in. Certainly the twilight of his career and not really enjoying life in Dusseldorf right Sounds now. Sounds like my Andre. I absolutely love the man. He's a, a bit of a nut job. Listen, James, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and, and, and thank you so much for uh, giving up your time to come on Planet Football tonight. And I'm certain uh, that when we say, will you join us again, you will, won't you, in the coming oh, weeks? Absolutely. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. James Thurgood joining us live from Germany on Planet Football tonight to talk the Bundesliga. And that's Planet Football this Tuesday night. There's no time left. It's all over. We are out of time. It's nearly six o'clock. Statman John, thank you very much. More on the African nations next week. More stats and everything, isn't there? Hopefully more goals. <laughs> Hopefully more interest and better goalkeeping as well. I've been John Bradley. He's been Statman John. This has been Planet Football. Thanks for being with us. This is City Talk 105.9. This is Planet Football with John Bradley. City Talk 105.9.